The crimes, the criminals, why did they do it? Who got hurt? Did they need justice or commit the perfect crime? You'll find all the clues at Jim Harold's Crime Scene. Welcome to the Crime Scene. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. And today, we're not going to look at a specific case, but we're going to look at uh, crime at a more societal level, and I think it's going to be fascinating. And we're going to talk about uh, a book uh, that came out last year, but I think it's really, really uh, important and uh, will give us some new perspectives maybe that we haven't thought about. It's called Hashtag Crime social media crime and the criminal legal system. And our guest today is the author of that book, Dr. Rebecca M. Hayes. She is associate professor in the Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Social Work at Central Michigan University. She received her PhD in criminology from the University of Florida, and her research is focused on social justice, violence against women, and media impacts on the justice system. Dr. Hayes, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, I, I, years ago, um, I was a master's level student in communication. So we did a lot of work on media, media effects and, and so forth. But that was mass media. And things mm-hmm. have changed so much with the impact of social media. It's a whole new category. What made you decide that you wanted to study social media as it relates to crime? Well, much like you, I, I began with looking more at mainstream media because I did my dissertation um, at University of Florida on CSI effect, you know, the impact of watching crime shows sure. on, on jurors because lawyers and judges had already started creating jury instructions based on that. So that's where I started my, my media. But then when the Trayvon Martin murder occurred, Um, I started noticing how much my social media feed was full about it and that there was a lag in the the mainstream media coverage. And then also just like the different conversations that we're having on social media on like Twitter and Facebook versus what the news was covering was vastly different. And so I was just curious about the research out there and how um, social media might be not only impacting our perceptions of crime, but actually the legal system itself because, uh, perceptions of crime impact uh, how we arrest, prosecute, create, you know, legislation. So that all matters. Which platforms did you look at? Well, I mean, I just, I didn't do uh, much research of my own besides looking at what research was already out there. That's why I wrote the book. Um, Cause I just did a literature review, just right. a literature search, re- research of research and looking at, um, what was already done. And I saw that there was not as much as I expected when I uh, decided to write the book, which took two years. And my co-author Kate Luther and I are still friends. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, at first we were focusing more on looking at research to see what there is out there for Facebook or Twitter, but also, you know, Reddit, um, because those kinds of forums were considered more, you know, open Tumblr open, you know, that people could post whatever they wanted, where it felt like people tried to like police themselves to a degree on Facebook, um, where they didn't so on on Reddit because of the anonymity. Something that I recall from back in the day from my mass media studies is that, for example, there had been studies done, and this is quite a while ago, but that the more television somebody watched, 
the more dangerous they thought the world was in actuality. Did you find something similar with social media that people who are more into social media and are strong uh, participators in it tend to think the world's a more dangerous place? I didn't find any research on that, but I do remember the research that you're talking about. And um, that that research is, is largely mixed. It was more of people who you know, really heavy, heavy viewers of crime shows. So they spend a lot of time and they didn't, we didn't really ask those, you know, in those research questions of whether or not they were also um, engaging in outside activities. So if you're spending that much time viewing television, you can kind of say, think that maybe they weren't um, spending time out in other activities. And maybe that's also probably why they think the world is a scary place. You know, they, I see the correlation, but I don't know if it's a causation. Right. Well, make- there could be intervening variables and so forth and all of that. So I, that, that makes sense to me. I, I see what you're saying. Now, how do you see media in general and social media in particular influencing our view of crime? That's a big question. <laughs> in, in, <laughs> I need a 15-week course in, on that. <laughs> in 60, yeah, in 60 seconds or less. All right. Well, we know more about legacy media, as, as you know, too, as there are lots of research on how that how media affects our perceptions of violence and victimization. Um, I mean, what we see and hear impacts us. Advertisers are literally banking on this. Uh, The same goes for how we view our social world. The interesting thing about social media is we can somewhat disrupt the narrative as participants, as users. Um, But that can also come with a price because it's not just making sure that all the important information is being shared to the public, but also misinformation is being shared. Whereas mainstream media kind of controlled the narrative more with people who are in control of the mainstream media, which isn't the population as much. So I think our perceptions of crime um, can change and have changed. I think the, the you know, and, and impact of the criminal legal system. I think the most uh, poignant example of that is the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Because that was particularly social media motivated and you know, people got on board and then the narrative shifted and we started focusing more on victims of sexual violence and harassment and what they have felt and think and how pervasive it is. And, you know, I, I rape, I do rape culture work too. So like that's one of my areas and I knew that was like the case, but you know, like the still the, the, the general population narrative wasn't focusing on victims and what they feel. And now we are, and there's kind of a shift in less accepting of, of those kinds of, um, harassment type things in the workplace. And, um, you know, that hasn't shifted since the nineties. And I think it's been a bit a big cultural shift in how we talk about, um, sexual violence. One thing that concerns me, and this may be beyond the scope of your, your book, but I'd like to get your perspective on, we know that true crime podcasts and true crime media are more popular than ever. It's uh, yeah. so much so that it's a punchline on SNL. I'm, I've been doing this show 11 years, but I take a little different tact on it. I'm not in that serial category, obviously, and all of those things. But But anyhow, my concern is with online true crime interest and so forth. There's some good things that come out of it, right? I mean, we have the Golden State Killer who was largely sussed out because of DNA work done by, quote, armchair detectives. On the other hand, the the thing that worries me a little bit is a scenario like this. Let's say you have a case. Uh, A young person goes missing. 
and it's this cause celeb, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, what happened and so forth. And let's say that three or four, quote, prime suspects come out. And people start willy-nilly online, start speculating, well, I think it's suspect A. Well, I think it's suspect C. Well, this isn't an Agatha Christie whodunit. We're talking about real people. For example, for this show, I have thought about having a Facebook group. But the reason I've decided not to do it is I don't want people having those conversations because let's say you've got suspects A through D, you know, uh, maybe, you know, at least three of those people are probably innocent, maybe all four. And we shouldn't be making this idle speculation. Now, if we're talking about a historical case, Jack the Ripper or something, it might be a little bit different, but we're talking about living people with families and careers and so forth. What are your thoughts on that and, and people's willingness to name names in social media? Yeah, uh, that is that is really important because uh, I wrote about it in my book about the Boston bomber and how that people went on Reddit and um, they had named the wrong person and they harassed them. And because uh, we kind of have an issue with privacy uh, with social media and people are doxing, which is the sharing of other people's information without their permission. Um, yeah, there's a responsibility there that I think that we're still trying to like tease out because if you're talking about in real time cases, uh, people are going to talk about them on social media platforms and then they could go after somebody and harass them and they're just an innocent person trying to live their life. But I wonder how that's different um, than, you know, mainstream media when they used to talk about suspects because maybe it was just more community oriented where now it's like you could be internationally harassed because people take interest in that particular case. And I would certainly say that traditional media are not infallible. They make mistakes. Um, but I will say this, they're journalistically trained to some degree. Now, again, I'm a big fan of social media. I wouldn't be able to do what I do for a living without it. So, But I recognize that, as with all things, you know, you can make a book that, that has something beautiful in it and a great message for mankind, or you can write Mein Kampf. You know, it, it depends on how you use the tool. So, right. But to me, journalists, to some extent, again, not perfect, but they had training and rules and when we name names and when we don't name names and so forth. So at least there was some kind of governor on it. Now you have people who just feel, and I think this is why we see a lot of the strain and stress we see in society today. People just, they feel as though if I think it, I can say it because I'm a keyboard warrior. I'm hiding behind a keyboard where my personal rule is I wouldn't say anything online that I wouldn't say in the public square out loud. But I don't think a lot of people have that mentality. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that the anonymity, uh, the hiding behind the screen has kind of made it easier to dehumanize people, um, which makes it easier to attack. And that's why that trolling is quite pervasive, um, where, you know, we tend, uh, people online will tend to go after people and, 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 death threats and rape threats because they don't have to actually ever meet them or deal with them in person and think about them as a human. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a danger to it. I mean, social media, but maybe people will start to police themselves a little bit or, you know, believe in respectability the more we get used to it. Cause I mean, social media and new media is still, you know, that just that new, we're still getting used to it. And I feel like, at least I hope future 
generations and their younger generations, because they grow up with it, learn a little bit more about the responsibility behind it. Did you know that the research on trolling is that the characteristics of people who are troll are usually young boys um, in their teenage years? Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. If you think about it, um, kind of, you know, the, the bully who picks some on somebody in the schoolyard kind of, kind of, kind of fits. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about, because I think this loops into it in a, in a certain way. One of the, and I've had many people on this show, FBI agents, lawyers, all kinds of people. And universally one problem I think that exists in our criminal justice system is this is you'll take a young man, probably from uh, a lower SES status. You know, maybe they're poor. Uh, maybe they live in a, a bad neighborhood, don't have a great education, certainly can't afford a good lawyer. They go and use a gun, hold up a liquor store, get 20 years in prison. And in the monetary piece on that, of course, is maybe they got away with $54. Mm. Then you flip that and you've got, the middle-aged guy, affluent, professional, embezzles $2 million from his company, and he gets two years in a minimum security prison and community service. And then he comes out and writes a book about how he overcame and became a new person and makes a bunch of money on that, too. It seems like there's two justice systems. Does media and specifically social media play into that? Uh, media generally definitely does the mainstream media because um we focus on street crime you know um and we don't focus on sweet crime is what we call it which is like white collar crime corporate crime government crime um we focus on the low level offenders the street offenders we have kind of um historically and contemporarily tends to paint men of color also women of color as criminals yet not victims um and I know the war on drugs, I'll focus on that for a second as an example. Uh, in the war on drugs, data from criminology research has continued to show that uh, white people use drugs as much as uh, people of color, black men and Hispanic men, um, but black men and Hispanic men are more likely to get arrested for it. And we have uh, still prisons around the country that have black men and Hispanic men incarcerated in states that have legalized marijuana now. And they're in there for marijuana. <laughs> so um, because the media has shown, um, and it's not just news media, it's uh, representations in television programs and, and movies. We, we, we stereotype people of color and represent them um, as unidimensional characters and stereotypes. Uh, this has played into the perception of who is a criminal. Uh, Catherine Russell Brown, who was one of my mentors at University of Florida, she termed this the myth of the criminal black man. And even though that, that still exists today, we see more contemporarily now, there's this myth around um, uh, immigrants, specifically Latinx, those who come from Mexico or other Latin American countries as criminal, even though immigrants are less likely to commit crimes than native foreign Americans. So it's just not factual, but the media and political rhetoric surrounds this like fear of crime when it comes to do with people of color and lower SESs, like you were saying. Now, the thing is, is that, as I said before, the media is full of crime, CSI programming, true crime podcasts. Is true crime entertainment 
a problem as it relates to real crime? And does the media manifest that? Do they perpetuate it? I assume they do. Well, the true crime stuff tends to focus on the celebrated cases, the really aggravated circumstances, you know, not the everyday crime stuff. So then it, uh, it focuses on the bigger bad guy, right? Um, or the unsolved cases that, um, you know, are with children, which is more the ideal victim. So mainstream media and, and true crime tend to focus on a very um, specific set of characteristics when they're looking for stories to tell because it's more salacious and and that kind of impacts people's perceptions of what crime is normal and what they need to be fearful of and it's not actually true kind of can, can create kind of a moral panic um but you did say something interesting i think social media does give people a voice and if there's an injustice they can take it into their own hands to point that out things that would have been covered up uh far far sooner uh, may not even have for example i think about the the harvey uh, weinstein ronan farrow flap Mm -hmm. and i would think that Maybe that would have been a story, but without social media and the fact that it really got through social media that NBC had tried to kill that story when it was uh, presented by Pharaoh and his people, I think that that goes away very quickly because who's going to report on it? Well, traditional media. And a lot of times traditional media, you know, they say, well, we're not going to do a self-critique here. You know, you don't see a lot of programming with media critics. There might be, I think there's one on Fox News, there's one on CNN, uh, self-styled media critics, but that's not a big thing except for people, I think, like us who are interested in this stuff. So the thing I'm saying is like that story, for example, I don't think that ever gets out in the way that it did if it's not for social media. Oh yeah, 100% agree there. That's that's why I kind of found social media so interesting is because this the way that the narrative is being told around certain circumstances has shifted, whether it's uh, racial, racialized violence or sexual violence, we're focusing more on what the people um, who are experiencing this and the communities with which are experiencing these kind of victimizations think and feel about it. Um, and they're covering it. And then eventually mainstream media t- kind of picks it up later. You can, when I talk about the lag, haven't you noticed that some stories you'll hear about them on social media well in advance of hearing about him um, on mainstream media. And sometimes I think it works the other way. Maybe something is in a small publication or a small website or reported on a local level somewhere, and then social media acts as an amplifier. So I guess it seems like it's a two-way street. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yep. Um. Where do you think we go with social media? I mean, again, my feeling is it's a mixed bag. There's some very good things about it. There's some very decidedly less good things about it. Where do you think it goes? Uh, I think in a society where we have a tendency to um, be fearful of new things, um, then we overreact and then we cut back. So I think that we're still in that process of like overreacting to stuff and then creating things and then backing off and trying to balance out where we should be um, using social media, how we should use that. And again, I think that the younger generations are going to drive that change because they're, they grew up with it. 
they will learn it. Miss, you know, like I remember, I mean, I don't want to age myself here. I remember when Facebook came out and I remember thinking, sheesh, I'm glad that they didn't have Facebook when I was a teenager <laughs> because right. of the kind of pictures. But we've also noticed in research that the younger generations aren't posting um, as much stuff like that, that when Facebook first came out and it was in, in young people were posting things like people have already kind of learned that you shouldn't do that now. Um, so we change according to how social media norms of our society. And that's a generational thing. But um, I do find it really interesting and the perceptions of crime and how that's going to change and how that impacts the criminal legal system long-term social media changes so fast. We, we can't keep up with it. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I think I, I consider myself relatively savvy and I've been using it for years. And then I hear my teenage daughter and my uh, 20 year old talk about it. And I'm like, wow, dad's way behind, <laughs> way behind. Now, um, is there any research that's been done with criminals and social media criminals themselves? Uh, any thoughts as to if social media can be used as a con conduit to glamorize what they do. I mean, I think of these criminals and I don't think it's most criminals, but some who will post themselves on sprees, which is really not the smartest thing because eventually that'll get you caught pretty fast, I would think. But any thoughts about how social media perpetuates criminality itself? Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know the research on that, but just based on what I've read, I would say that as far as criminals posting about their crimes, like you were saying, it's not the most, it's not the smartest thing to do. Um, and it's going to get you caught. And I think that's probably more rare. I think where people who have committed crimes, maybe, um, gone to prison or jail for it might be able to use social media to tell their story once they're out. But when, when they're in, it's a little bit harder. Um, I don't know if it's perpetuating criminality or perpetuating misinformation. That is a good question. I'm, I'm really not sure. Now, what, uh, what piece of research that you ran across, I think anytime somebody does a major project like there, there's something that they look at and they say, even if they know the space very well, they say, oh, I didn't expect that. What was that? What was that for you? Mm, I was expecting more research, to be honest. That was the biggest problem. When I proposed the project, I, you know, I, we write a book proposal, we send it to a publisher, they say, yeah or no, and then we we get on with the writing of the project. Um, it took us a lot of extra time because we expected more research to have been done and especially in criminology because, you know, obviously this is impacting the criminal legal system. Why, why wouldn't there be research on it? And there, we just kept running into people calling for research, asking for research. And then we kind of realized, Oh, it's because um, a lot of the social media sites don't really let you. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not really working with sociologists. They're working with, you know, advertisers and things like that. You can do some like, you know, cursory research, you know, you can use Twitter's used a lot because you can like download tweets and examine them and things like that. So you can do like discourse analysis. Um, but there's a lot of privacy settings and things that prevent you from really looking at um, the breadth of information that people are posting. And this is just a wealth of information that these uh, companies have access to, but they're not asking researchers to examine it, making sure they're not causing harm. And that's, that's one, that was one of the most surprising things to me while doing this project is just the, the lack of research and how companies aren't even really engaging in it. 
Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense from a business perspective, but not from a societal protections perspective. You have one chapter here that particularly interested me. Hashtag not all men, media and crime victimization. Can you tell us about that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually one of the ones where I had done some research on, on the discourse and the narrative around um, when the Yes All Women came out. And this is well in advance of the Me Too movement. Um, it was talking about street harassment and um, how every woman experiences, you know, some kind of harassment in her life, whether it's street harassment or work harassment. So it was kind of a precursor to the Me Too movement, right? Um, but the narrative uh, with that Yes All Woman is there was a pushback of like, yeah, but that doesn't mean all men are doing it. And a lot of people were going, why are you saying that? Because this isn't your, this isn't your forum. People are trying to explain to you how common it is. And of course, there's an understanding that not every man engages in that behavior, but there's, that means there's a systemic problem if every woman can tell you a story of how she's been harassed in some way when she's just trying to go about living her life. Um, so that, that chapter was really just trying to pay attention to you know, the way that social media is disrupting the narrative of gendered violence. And I wish that Me Too movement had came out before I uh, really fully wrote the book, but um, it kind of came out dirty. And so we couldn't really like look at it because, you know, I mean, it's a research book. So <laughs> the research hadn't been done on it, but it was definitely a timely um, thing that occurred while uh, we were about to go to press that we found interesting. So we're like, oh, that seems like there's a natural progression of this conversation where it started off small and then got larger and larger and, and ended up in this societal shift. Now, here's a phrase I never heard of. I'm, I'm interested to see what it is. Rip trolling. What is rip trolling? Oh, my gosh. You asked earlier about something that surprised me. That was <laughs> that was one of those ones where we're like, people do this. They will go to like the Facebook pages of the deceased, people like that recently died, and just write nasty things on their page, oh. and like, uh, and then also like harass the family members and the friends and things. It's really, really super mean and makes your heart hurt. <laughs> wow! Wow! That what. Uh... Sometimes people, <laughs> just that people. Uh, but it is fascinating. I, it strikes me just based on, you know, the, the, the continuing discussion of how there's not a lot out there. Boy, I bet that this book and your work will serve as kind of like, a, you know, the, 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 the grid of, uh, was it the sand in the oyster or whatever that uh, generates the pearl or however that goes, basically will, will spur people on to say, hey, this is something we really need to look at. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of research in the communications world, so I want to be clear with that. It's just not in criminology, so I really hope that more of that is done because trying to like draw the two together is important since it has such an impact on society. Well, it is indeed fascinating, and we're so glad that you were able to spend time with us. The book is Hashtag Crime, Social Media Crime, and the Criminal Legal System. Our guest has been Dr. Rebecca M. Hayes. Dr. Hayes, where can people find the book? They can go to Amazon. <laughs> there you go. That's that's where you can find most books. And I'm looking at it right it's now. True. It's right, right, right there. The book again is hashtag crime, social media crime, and the criminal legal system. Our guest has been Dr. Rebecca M. Hayes. Dr. Hayes, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. And thank you for tuning into the crime scene and be careful out there. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>